Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. So glad that you guys are here, and I'm pretty confident that none of you are the perfect father, but you're pretty good. There is no perfect father other than the father, and we're going to see that today in this passage as we look at Matthew uh, chapters 1 and 2. You know, when you, as a dad, you may look at the scriptures and you go, okay, well, how am I supposed to father? What's the picture? What's the biblical picture of fatherhood? And surely in Scripture, there should be lots of examples of amazing dads with amazing kids and incredible outcomes and how dads were just amazing in Scripture. But if you start in the Old Testament, not so much. One of the great things about Scripture is our heroes are seen sometimes in their worst mistakes. The Bible doesn't whitewash failures, does it? In the Old Testament, if you start early, you look at, well, there was Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had, at first had two sons, Cain and Abel. So Adam was the father of Cain and Abel. And how'd that work out? Well, Cain killed Abel. That doesn't sound like a very good start, does it? You move on to Abraham, and Abraham did what? Well, Abraham turns out fathered a son by another woman than his wife. Not a great move. His grandson, Jacob, Jacob had 12 sons. And so this sounds like it's going pretty good. This is, he's got 12 sons. Of course, there were by four different women, but we'll ignore that for the moment. And Jacob's, 10 of his sons are, are together. And um, actually nine of them decide that they don't like Joseph. Why? Because Joseph was the favorite. And it's clear in Scripture that Joseph was the favorite. And so nine sons got together, actually ten sons got together, and they sold their brother into slavery and got rid of him. Not a great fathering move uh, by Jacob. And later we see in the book of Samuel, there's a priest named Eli and remember, Hannah prays for a son, prays for a child. She finally has a son, and she brings him to Eli, the priest, to raise him. She dedicates him to the Lord, and this sounds like it's going to be amazing. Eli must be an amazing guy. But it turns out Eli's sons were known as worthless men who didn't even know the Lord. Again, where are the great examples? Now, there's some. You know, Job sacrificed for his kids and prayed for his kids and apparently had a great family. But, you know, there's not a lot of great fathering stories in Scripture. In the Old Testament, King David, King David was the greatest king and worship leader for Israel. He was amazing, uh, very charismatic guy, great worship leader. He had a son, his firstborn son was named Amnon, who was killed by his third son, Absalom. Absalom later led a rebellion and kicked David right out of Jerusalem. Until finally Absalom was defeated and killed and David re regained his throne. Super sad stories about some of the greatest fathers in all of Old Testament. 
So how, where do we go then, guys, to think about, well, how do I understand how to father from Scripture? There's so many failures, so many bad things, horrible things that none of you have even thought about doing. What happened? Even in the line of the kings following David, Solomon started really well, was a great king, but he finished badly. And then there was this long line of mostly evil sons of these kings. And so at times we can kind of throw our hands up and go, well, where is the perfect father? Where is, where is the fatherhood examples in Scripture? And there are some, but what we need to understand is that the Old Testament is not there to show the greatness of God's people. It's not there to show that because they had the right heritage, because they had the right dads, that they all went and did a great job. Now, the Old Testament is there for us to see that God's people are not perfect. Matter of fact, God's law reveals how imperfect God's people can be. That's why there is the law. It's to show the people the perfection of who God is, the perfect father, and the need that God's people have for him. See, that's what the Old Testament is all about. It constantly gives us the character of God and the failure of man. The perfection of God and the imperfection of humans. That's really what the Old Testament is all about. Because what it's doing is preparing us for something amazing in Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament is all about. And so as a dad, you can look at this and say, well, I think that the Old Testament is a way for us to understand the greatness of God and our inability to do it. And the New Testament gives us a way to please God through Jesus Christ. It prepares us for Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 explains this beautifully, and I think it helps us see the Old Testament and the New Testament relative to being a dad. It says this, so then the law was our guardian, get that, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons, all, you are all sons of God through faith. That's what he's saying. The law is a guardian. It was a way for us to understand God's character. Now, see, that's what you set up when you raise children when they're young, right? You're setting up a way for them to live. You're setting up rules for them because they're not old enough to make any kind of their own decisions. And when they're little, they don't have the ability to know God yet. They don't have the ability to receive the gift of salvation yet. So as, as a parent, you're setting up these rules, these routines, these chores, this lifestyle, and you're, you're a guardian for them in that way. And that's what we're doing as dads when they're young. We're, we're trying to help them be what they should be. And a lot of times we feel like we're forcing them to be what they should be. But ultimately, there's going to become a time when they get to make their own decisions, when they are grown. And we're preparing them for that. And as the great Pastor Tony Evans would say, our goal is not to make little pictures of us. It's to make pictures of Jesus. And that's really what fatherhood is all about, trying to help children look like Jesus because he, Jesus, and God the Father, they're the most perfect father there ever could be. 
And that's what the Old Testament does to prepare us for the New Testament, where Jesus comes and he fulfills perfectly the law. That's what he did. He's the perfect, perfect representation of what the law expects. Only Jesus could do that. It's interesting then that as Matthew begins the first book of the New Testament, we see a different kind of father. We see a father in Joseph, husband of Mary, father of Jesus. We see someone who is raising someone else's child to be like someone else than them, which is kind of counterintuitive for us as dads, right? Because we want to raise boys and girls that do what we want them to do. And in particular, we want boys to be a better version of us, right? Or at least to be as good. We want them to be a better athlete. We want them to be stronger and bigger and better looking than us. That's our goal. We want to make them like us, only better. We want them to fulfill everything that we ever messed up, right? We want to take advantage of every opportunity that we ever missed. We want them to be even better than ourselves. And in doing so, sometimes we just try to make them into ourselves. And that's really what happened all throughout the Old Testament, right? Because what they were trying to do was raise up sons and daughters that would continue the legacy of the people of God, to be like their fathers, like their ancestors, like their blood relatives. When the New Testament dawns, we're no longer trying to be like human blood relatives. We're trying to be like the one who shed his blood for us. We want them to be like someone else than us. Look with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. Matthew chapter 1, verse 24. As we consider this man, Joseph, who imitated the perfect father. You know the story. We tell it every Christmas. Joseph is engaged to Mary. She turns up pregnant. And Joseph is ready to divorce her, to get rid of her. And in those days, you, if you were engaged, you had to get divorced to break up. They hadn't come together yet physically. Joseph is cut to the core, right? I mean, men, this is probably one of the things that can hurt over the most when the woman that you love, that you're committed to, has somehow gotten pregnant that wasn't related to you. Here's Joseph saying, oh, I just got to let this person go. I'll do it quietly. But an angel appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, what's happening in Mary is something that I'm doing. And I want you to go ahead and marry her, and I want, you to, I want you to raise this child, and I want you to name something different than your family name. See, all these things are telling Joseph, this child is not really yours, but you have a very important role in its life. You're even going to name it something different than your family name. It would be like, it would be like me, me naming one of my sons instead of Will Thomas, naming him Will Smith or or Will Jones, or, or whatever, some name that's not even my name. So verse 24, this is what God has told Joseph. And what does he do? It says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. See, Joseph took on a role that was not what he expected or asked for, but it was the role that God called him to. 
And if you were raised really outside of, of, of the place where you are a follower of Jesus, you got a problem here? If you were raised outside of that, it's normal for you to raise a child to... You know, as a father, you have to learn to speak in different tones and different voices and with different microphones. That's why we did that. was on purpose. That was... I mean, guys, how many voices do you have, really, honestly? You got your, hey, it's a really good time day, and then you got to, hey, listen, that ain't going to work. And maybe you raise your voice occasionally, hopefully not too much, but uh, sometimes actually the low voice really works well. And you have to use different ones for daughters, amen, than sons. Sons really don't have to do much. They just have to think you're going to kill them. Now, you're not really going to hurt them. We're not condoning that. But anyway, back to Joseph. He took a role that he wasn't expecting, didn't ask for, wasn't really trained to do this. You see, he was really trained to do what? To raise a child to be like him, to be like his father, to be like their father, to raise that child to be like them. But now he's called to raise a child to be like God the Father. And not like him. It's not his blood. He's a surrogate father, really. But God called him to do it. He was not raising his own son. He was raising the son of God. Not to be like him. But in order to do this, he needed to protect him and to prepare him, to position him to be useful for his father. Because God the Father had an incredible mission for Jesus. An incredible mission that Joseph needed to deliver him for. In good shape, ready to do what God had called him to do. See, dads have to listen to and respond to the voice of God. To prepare their children for God's assignment. They have to be able to listen to the voice of God. To help prepare their children God's assignment. Guys, when you struggle with and think about what am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I? And guys, most fathers I know think about this a lot. How do I best work with my children? How do I lead them? How do I get them where they need to be? How do I help them be more than they could ever be on their, be in the way that they would go on their own? First, you have to take the assignment. You have to accept the assignment to raise this child to complete God's assignment. And as dads, you know, we always think about where they're going to be when they grow up. How's this going to act? How's this going to happen? And the first thing we have to realize is we are raising someone else's child. Yes, they do probably look like you somewhat. And for most of you, that's a good thing. Amen. For some of you, not so much. But, um, you know, they're, you're raising them. They do look like you. They talk like you probably. They have expressions like you. They, they have similar interests often than you. But you have to remember they're not really yours. You have a huge responsibility in their lives. But your goal is not that they be like you. Your goal is that they be like Jesus. 
I want them to find their way in order to complete the assignment that God has given them. That's our goal as dads. We have to accept that assignment. So when you're thinking about them, think about what they're going to do, what they're going to be in the kingdom. Not, are they going to take up the profession that I took up? Are they going to take over my business? Uh, are they going to do continue my work? We want them to continue God's work, right? We want to take their assignment that they do not belong to us. They belong to God the Father. Most of you know that just a couple months ago, our daughter Sarah and her husband Greg moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado to serve in the military. Greg is an Army chaplain. And I want to update you today that yesterday I got a text from Greg that said he was able to lead a soldier to the Lord in Eastern Europe and that he's discipling two guys. He's constantly preaching, counseling, leading worship. I'm so grateful that he and Sarah felt the freedom to do that, that they are being who God called them to be rather than just being exactly what I want them to be. We have to accept the assignment, guys. I want to raise someone else's child. And some of you are even raising, because you're a stepdad, you're raising someone else's child physically. Praise God for that. So grateful for that, that you're faithful in that. So you have a picture. You're already raising someone else's child, but no, but know this. They are God's children. He has a plan. He has an assignment for them that's going to be amazing. So first we want to accept the assignment. Second, verse 13 of chapter 2, the word of the Lord says this. This is, this is right after the three wise men come and they deliver these gifts and it's an incredible time and they worship this baby. Right after this in verse 13, it says this. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for your child and destroy him. And he rose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Guys, we need to protect our children. We need to think about what is the best place for our child to be. And sometimes the place that your child needs to be is not the place that you would think or most people would think is the safest place. Sometimes you have to move to a place that may even seem more dangerous to the world. It was the great pastor and author John Piper who said one of the most dangerous places to raise your kids can be in the suburbs of an American city. A place that seems safe, but in reality can build idolatry for the safety of that place. And sometimes we need to put our kids in a little bit more dangerous spot. Where is the safe place for your child? Where do they need to be in order to be protected, to grow, and to develop? You have to make those decisions. And part of those places is you are establishing rules like a guardian would. How do they live? How do I protect them from this? How do I protect them from that? What are my rules for how they're to live? And where do we need to be? When our kids were, I think Sarah, Sarah was a senior, John was a sophomore, we moved to Delray Beach. And 
our, our, they, Sarah and John, went to Spanish River High School. And they moved from a Christian school to a very, very uh, secular school. And it's interesting that the experiences that they had there, I think it was safer for them there because they knew who they were already. And they knew the importance of the mission. And I remember Sarah teaching other kids in her class what the Jewish holidays were because they were Jewish and she knew what the holidays meant. An incredible mission opportunity. But one of the things I just found out recently that I was talking to, or to John about why he is coachable. because He's a coachable kid. He's a coachable young man. And he said, I think it was because my basketball coach back at Spanish River High School used to yell at me all the time. But I learned to gain from that. I learned that what he was saying was true and right, and I learned the game that way. You see, for our Sarah and John, this was a safer place even than the Christian school they came from. It was a place that they learned how to grow and develop in a pagan environment. Those are things that dads can do. Those are things that dads kind of have in their hearts, and moms too. But as fathers, we're thinking about that. And that's what Joseph did. He said, You're going, if I stay here in this apparent safe area where the people are like me in, in this nation of Israel, it's going to be worse for my kids than taking them to Egypt where they need to be right now. So we balance between protecting our children and, second, and thirdly, to position them. We position them where they need to be. In a way, we were positioning them when we brought them to Spanish River and when we took them to college, which is the stupidest thing you could ever do, right, Jill? No, it's wonderful. Uh, you take them to this place where you're like, I'm dropping them off among 45,000 18 to 22-year-olds. What possibly could happen? Some major things have happened there. Some very, very good things happened, especially for our kids. My son went to Florida State as well, Hannah Go Knowles. Um, wonderful, godly friends in the midst of a pagan environment. You have to figure out where can I position them to become, so they can become who God wants them to be. Again, it's about who God wants them to be, not who I want them to be. That's what dads are all about. If you think about it, that's how God works in our lives, isn't it? He starts us off understanding what the law is all about. These are the rules. These are the Ten Commandments. This is how you're supposed to live. And, and we start to realize we can't really live that way, and we've broken Ten Commandments. We've broken a lot of them, maybe all of them. And we recognize our need for Jesus Christ and the opportunity to receive him. But if I never find out that I'm sinful, if I never am convicted by the law, I never value Jesus. He will never be important to me unless I see myself as a sinner far from God. And that's the goal of being a dad, is to allow your kids to get to the place where they recognize their sinfulness and their need for Jesus Christ, to allow the Holy Spirit, to position them, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives to say, you absolutely must have me. That's what happens when we accept the job to raise someone else's children, when we protect them and when we position them to receive this Holy Spirit and make their own decisions because they will, won't they? They will. And, you know, it's what we want. 
We want them to make decisions that are driven by Jesus Christ, ultimately not by us. That's our goal. We want them to see God as the perfect father. That's our goal as dads. Now, maybe today you may be saying, well, you know, Steve, uh, I'm a mom. I'm a mom, and I, I don't really, what's, what does this message mean to me? Well, here's something that you can do is to encourage your husband when he does these things. Because sometimes in a marriage, one spouse kind of wants to hold to one thing and one wants to hold to the other thing. But understand this, if your goal is to raise other people's children, I mean, God's children, your goal is to make them look like him. So your conversation should be about, okay, I hear you, husband. Help me understand how this is going to help them to be like Jesus. It's an amazing thing. And even if you could encourage him just a little bit, you say, you know, my husband, he's not strong. He doesn't say stuff. Listen, it's probably in him if you will help him let it out. If you will help him let you want to gain from him, what do you think we should do here? Is this a case where we need to protect our child? Or is this a case where we need to position him for what God is going to do in his life? It's a huge part of couple dynamics. Some of you say, well, you know what, my, my children are grown, and uh, I've done what I've done. I did the best I could. They're on their own. What, what do I do now? Well, listen, here's your goal. It's the same. As my, as my good friend and brother-in-law Brad says, you know, I don't get involved in their lives, and I don't set them straight unless they're about to drive off a cliff, Right? I mean, you as parents know stuff they're doing that's probably not exactly the best thing, but you don't, maybe you don't know. You don't need to get involved in their lives unless they're about to really mess up. But you do need to think, how do I advise them? How do I cheer for them? How do I encourage them to shape their lives to be like Jesus? They don't need to be like you. They really don't. They need to be like your godliness, but they don't need to live the same life you live. And honestly, you don't need to figure out how to manipulate them to come home for Thanksgiving. You should come home for Thanksgiving, kids. Uh, but understand, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, are they following Jesus Christ? That's our goal as dads and as moms. We want them to follow the perfect father. And we do that by imitating Joseph, who accepted the role. He protected his children, and he positioned his children. But you know, the interesting thing about Joseph is by the time Jesus is completing his mission, actually by the time he begins his ministry at the age of 30, Joseph's no longer heard from. Matter of fact, the last time we see Joseph is when Jesus is 12, and he's left in the, he, he hangs out in the temple after his parents have left. And they come back to find it. It's the last time we see Joseph. We don't know what happened to him in those 18 years. Sometime in there, he probably died. He's not even on the stage when Joseph is having his biggest moment. He's not being Del Curry as Steph Curry is winning the MVP of the NBA Finals this week. He's, he's not saying this child turned out like me. He's not even on the scene. He's already launched Jesus. He's already prepared him and literally given him to God. And let God lead him to do the mission that God sent him on. Guys, this is our goal. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your desire 
to see your kids follow Jesus. And thank you for your continued prayers for kids that aren't following Jesus. Thank you for your heart for that. Because that's our goal as men, as we imitate Joseph, who imitated the perfect father. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.